Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today is my great pleasure to introduce to you Mitch Belize. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. I should have checked beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Mitch is an H5 hand cyclist, so paracyclist, and he won the gold in the time trial and the road race at his debut Paralympic Games in Tokyo. So welcome to the podcast, Mitch. Hello. Thank you. Did I actually pronounce it correctly? Uh, Yeah, Mitch Valise. Valise. Okay. Mitch, can you... Can you tell us a bit about your background, your impairment, and how you got into paracycling? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Mitch, 27 year old, and from the Netherlands. And uh, I was born with a congenital defect of my uh, left leg. Uh, during pregnancy, there was an obstruction of the blood vessels to the left leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, the upper and lower limb are shorter. And in uh, the lower limb, I only have uh, tibia and I don't have the fibula. And in the beginning, I had also uh, a foot, a small foot, but I couldn't walk on it. So I uh, started walking with a prosthetic leg since my first birthday. Mm-hmm. And when I was 20, I decided to amputate uh, the, the foot because uh, when I amputated the foot, I could get a, a better prosthetic leg. So yeah, we amputated the foot. And yeah, that was also the beginning of getting in contact with the Paralympic sport and uh, getting in contact with, with hand cycling. Mm-hmm. And so had you done any cycling prior to that? Uh, no, uh, in, uh, during childhood, I uh, played football with the prosthetic leg in a, mm-hmm. normal, in a normal valid team. And I stopped playing football when I was around 18. So then you have to go from the Netherlands, from the from the junior teams to the senior teams. Mm-hmm. And that's, that step was too big for me physically. Yeah. I couldn't follow the, the level of, of my fellow teammates. They mm-hmm. were too strong for me. So uh, I decided to, to stop playing football. And yeah, at this, uh, around the same time, I saw the Paralympic sport and I saw that I was able to compete in Paralympic sport as well with mm-hmm. my disability and then uh, yeah, two two years later, uh, yeah, I discovered uh, hand cycling. Mm. And so, with the hand cycle, your classification is H five. So, just explain yeah. what that means. So, uh, in hand cycling, you got five classes, one to five, and uh, in class five, you have the lowest uh, impairment. So, most people have uh, amputated uh, leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, both upper and lower legs are possible or an not completely spinal cord injury mm-hmm. uh, is also possible. So uh, amput- amputation of the leg or a non-completely uh, spinal cord injury. And the most important thing is that you have fully control of your core. So when, no. you, u- when you can use your core stability uh, and you can sit on your knees, Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, then you will classify it in the H five. If it's not possible, then you will classify it in H four. So, and then you will lie lie in the in the hand cycle, mm-hmm. and we are sitting in a yeah n- knee sit hand cycle, not completely on our knees, also just uh, on our on our uh, on our poop. How do you say it? Yes, right. <laughs> You've got a seat. 
<laughs> seat. Yeah, yeah. I got a seat underneath, <laughs> so I, I'm sitting yeah. on that. Yeah, 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 as well. So that's not completely uh, on the knees. So that yeah. will be will be very painful. Mm. So, but uh, yeah, so we have a seat and uh, and yeah, something on for the knees to sit yeah. on. And when that's possible, then you are classified H five. Uh-huh. Okay, and it's a pretty competitive class, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's getting bigger and bigger every year, and the, mm-hmm. the level is really high. Uh, so I think the, um, most of the first top the top twenty worldwide can compete for the win in mm-hmm. in, in World Cups. So uh, it's it's really strong class, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and that's really nice to see. Yeah. So usually through the day you ambulate with a prosthetic limb, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And and so when you had your foot amputated, I mean that's a pretty big decision for most people to have a foot amputated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. How long did that surgery and recovery process actually take? So from the moment I decided to amputate the foot, it took us uh, I think almost a year before the surgery because we had to do a lot of work before. Uh, I had to train hard, so I was fit for the for the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after the surgery, and also I, w- I at that moment I was studying uh, as well, so I would like to do uh, the surgery during the summer break, so I, w- mm-hmm. I wouldn't miss that that much of of my study. So I had to wait till summer break, then I had the surgery, and after that, yeah, they planned the rehabilitation would take about six months. Yep. Uh, but there were some minor uh, complications after surgery, and therefore I couldn't start uh, with rehab- rehabilitation directly after the surgery. So in the end, it took almost a year before I was mm. uh, on the level that I was before before the surgery. Right. Uh, and yeah, the hand cycling was part of my rehabilitation program, so that helped me, especially in the first months after surgery, to yeah. Uh, stay fit because yeah. I couldn't walk, I couldn't swim, so there was only one option to to train some endurance, and that was uh, doing hand cycling. Mm. And so, are you glad you did that? Yeah, yeah. When you look what I already achieved from now, it's, I'm glad I I did discover the hand cycling. Yeah, <laughs> but in in terms of the amputation of your foot, are you actually glad that you've you've oh, done that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and uh, before that, I had a lot of pain in my foot mm-hmm. uh, because the foot was also in the prosthetic leg, mm-hmm. and with the new techniques of the prosthetic legs, it yeah, it wasn't a good match with the foot. So yeah. then there was only, yeah, for me there was only one option uh, yeah. to amputate it, uh, so I could get a better prosthetic leg. And now I have actually a really good situation with the, with my stump, and I, I can walk without any pain. I can yeah. I can, Actually, I can do everything, so it's mm. it's great. Great, yeah. So in f- before it was, I think fifty percent. They gave it fifty percent chance that the surgery of the amputation would be the solution for mm. the problems. And now afterwards, I can say it was a two hundred percent right decision. <laughs> great, great. So, can you tell us a little bit about what your training looks like? I know you're in the middle of World Cups at the moment, so it's kind of in the middle of the competition season. But if we mm-hmm. if we take it back maybe a month or so, what would be your typical training week? Kind of what would that look like if in say the month before a World Cup? 
Okay, so yeah, normally during a training period, we train uh, about six to seven days uh, per week. Mm-hmm. Most of the weeks of yeah everyday training. Then on Monday, we st- uh, I start the week with resistance training because hand cycling is not only endurance sport but also a little bit of power sport. So you need your power in your in your muscles, especially those of your arms, and also in, in H five class uh, the back. Uh, muscles are also really important so uh, we do some resistance training on on monday mm-hmm. uh, then on tuesday normally i have an interval training high intensity interval training mm-hmm. can be different types of interval can be longer intervals on threshold level or can be shorter intervals on vo2 max mm-hmm. intensity then on wednesday i normally make a big endurance ride of five to six hours Mm-hmm. Uh, on Thursday, we have the resistance training again. On Friday, high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. And then on Saturday and Sunday, it's uh, again endurance training. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes during the, in the weekend during the endurance training, I do also some longer blocks on uh, lower intensity, like tempo intensity. So that's below the threshold intensity. Uh-huh. And so how many hours roughly a week would that be? Uh, roughly it will be around 20 hours per week. Mm-hmm. And over winter, do you do that outdoors or do you do tend to do some of your training indoors? I only train indoors when the weather is really shit. And, <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, yeah, so this year we have, last winter we had a really bad winter in the Netherlands mm-hmm. with a lot of rain. Mm-hmm. So when it's, yeah, when it's raining or snowing, then, then I will train uh, indoors, but mm-hmm. I tried always to go outdoors because especially with those long endurance rides, yeah, it's really boring to sit four hours on an indoor trainer, <laughs> uh, yeah. looking looking to the same uh, same wall again. Uh, so mm-hmm. then I yeah I try to go outside. So uh, but mo- yeah, most of the time is training outside, and sometimes yeah you have to do your uh, training inside because of uh-huh. the weather. Yep. And so since you started as a paracyclist, has your body changed in terms of your physical sort of like apart from building strength in in the upper body in particular, do you feel like you've also put on a lot of muscle mass with that or have have you always had a fairly strong upper body? No, my my upper body uh, has become stronger during uh, during the years. However, you you doesn't see it uh, directly. I have a type of muscles that that doesn't be of that does not become uh, bigger uh, mm-hmm. with with and with the resistance training. So when you, you compare me with my teammates like Tim Dufries, he is uh, uh, yeah like a, a bodybuilder. Yeah. And then I come and I look like a, a mid-long distance runner. With <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, and I'm uh, yeah. But also, when you see in the competition, I yeah, I, I, I am completely different than the other type of the other riders. So uh, yeah, I, I became stronger, but it doesn't see it from the outside. Do you feel like it gives you a better power to weight ratio though? If you're going up hills, do you get up hills yeah. a little bit faster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's my specialty as well. So yeah, that's mm. my yeah big advantage for me. Mm. And luckily, the the courses are every year becoming. Yeah, tougher and tougher and there are more altitude meters in it so yeah. it's yeah it's nice for me nice it suits you 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because you you do look at a lot of the H5 cyclists and they do tend to have that really wide shoulders and and big yeah. upper body. So it's yeah, it's quite interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that changes over the next few years, I guess as the as the as the training courses and the competition courses become a little bit different. Yeah, and so, also we we focus on that in uh, resistance training to do mm-hmm. exercises that where we became stronger but do not gain muscle mass. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think a lot of people think of when they do resistance training, they a lot of people think, oh, that means that you're going to get bigger muscles. But I think that's really important to kind of understand that it, you know strength and resistance doesn't always mean more muscle mass. It can mean exactly. just that you're able to recruit the muscles. And obviously, as a hand cyclist, you're not just recruiting the back; you've got the whole core that's involved in yeah. the in the in the motion. It's very much a whole body, or at least a whole upper body motion, rather than just the hands. That you know, when you're lying more recumbent, you know, so the H1 to H4s, it it does tend to be more in the arms and the shoulders. Yeah, more isolated. But with the H5, you are using that that entire part of your torso. Uh, to, yeah, to generate that power. Yep. Mm. So what about your nutrition? How do you eat to support that training? Can you run so, through yeah, we, an example, like a typical day's food intake for you? Uh, yeah, so we uh, in the morning I also start with breakfast. And mm-hmm. uh, for me, that's yogurt with some muesli, uh, fresh food, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, something to drink. Mostly it's uh, chocolate milk because I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, normally I start training. So during the training, uh, especially the bicycle trainings, I use nutrition as well. So mm-hmm. uh, drinking isotonic sports drink and then eating energy bars, gels, uh, bananas during my ride. And then the amount is dependent of uh, the intensity and the, the duration uh, mm-hmm. of the of the training mm-hmm. uh, and then a- after training yeah i mostly eat my my lunch so that will be a, l- a lot of slices of bread mm-hmm. and then yeah have my dinner and then in the evening i will have uh, mostly two snacks so the first snack will be some fruit and then before i go uh, i go to sleep i take some yogurt uh, again mm-hmm. uh, and that's yeah how it's look oh uh, yeah what I eat normally on a day. So at lunchtime, you said you have a lot of slices of bread. Do you put anything in between the slices of bread? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it will. <laughs> it can be everything: cheese, uh, some meat, but also uh, jam or peanut butter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of variations uh, I can make. Uh, yeah. Except, uh, yeah, most what I like. Uh, to eat because it's a lot you have to eat so you have to make it comfortable for yourself as well so it, mm. it, it needs to taste nice because otherwise yeah you need to do it day in day out uh, otherwise you can complete a week of training and eat those amounts of food yeah yeah and so were you surprised how much you needed to eat once you sort of got into the more competitive part of the the hand cycling yeah yeah yeah, I really was surprised by the amount I had to eat. And yeah, we did some, uh, if, uh, I think after a couple of years, we did some tracking of, of mm-hmm. uh, energy expenditure and energy intake. And 
I was surprised that that still I eat more than uh, a normal athlete would would eat on a day. Mm-hmm. With the same energy expenditure, I was still was losing weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I thought, holy holy crap, what's what? How is it possible? <laughs> yeah, I had to eat so much. It was yeah, I didn't ex- expect that in the beginning. Mm. How much you eat? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, have you had any specific nutrition challenges along the way? Like, do you have any food allergies or intolerances, or have you had any problems with your gut or anything that's been a problem? Uh, so the, the biggest problem was the amount of food I had to eat, especially mm-hmm. during lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And because also my energy expenditure is higher because of uh, during the day I walk with a prosthetic leg mm-hmm. and that costs more energy than walking on two uh, normal legs. Yep. So therefore, I, yeah, I have to eat a lot, uh, especially during lunch after the training. So and it was so, at one point I said to my nutritionist from from a uh, uh, I can't eat that that much of uh, amount of food in one time again. Mm. So then we decided to split the lunch in two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first eat my first part after training directly and yep. then eat the second part one hour later. Mm-hmm. So I was able to to eat uh, those uh, amount of, of uh, food. And uh, of course, in the cycling during training, the amount of carbohydrates is it's going higher almost every year so we mm. have to train our gut as well so in yep. the beginning uh, 60 gram power is, is the limit and then you have to train it and now i sometimes yeah, during races i almost eat one uh, 100 to 110 uh, grams uh, per hour so right. but you have to train that during tra- if you have to train that during trainings so mm-hmm. um to yeah training the gut yeah and so when you do that during a, a race so you know if you if you kind of picture anyone who's not familiar with hand cycling so it's not like you can take your hands off the the pedals very easily because that is your mode of of pushing so do exactly. you use a camelback or a backpack sort of system of fluid or how do you actually achieve that 100 grams per hour when you're ra- actually racing so yeah some riders use a camelback i don't use those uh, camelbacks i just use a normal uh, bidon yep how do you call it in english a bidon? Yeah. yeah okay yep. yeah yeah and for for my drinks with the isotonic sport drink in it mm-hmm. uh, and i have during races all times gels with me so yep. i can it only takes let's say 10 seconds to open it up, squeeze it in your mouth, and then throw it back in your uh, bike. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it doesn't take that long to to uh, get some sugar inside your body. And uh, yeah, you have to pick up the good moments to to eat. And uh, luckily nowadays, since I'm yeah one of the big riders in the H5, so when I start eating, almost everyone start eating so because they oh yeah, Mitch is eating. Oh now we have it. Now we have time to eat as well. So then everyone starts eating. Uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah. So and when it's a course with with hills, then all, almost every time in the downhill, you yeah you have time to eat because mm. you already said it. We need to yeah continue with pedaling with our arms. Otherwise, we yep. will stop. Uh, we will stop. So yep. we need to pedal. So uh, yeah. After yeah. fa- I think and now I'm it's my eighth year in the hand cycle. So now I'm really professional to cycle with only one hand and with the mm-hmm. other hand I can drink or I can eat 
but in a race when the pace is really high then it's it's big challenge to uh, to do that yeah you have to really pick your moments and i guess you know you make it sound very easy to to grab one of those gels and 10 seconds you know have it in your mouth and then put the pack away but that's actually not easy is it no also you have to that requires training (laughs) yeah yeah you need to train that in in your training yeah yeah or you can't do it for the first time in a race because because then yeah it will be it will go wrong uh, so It'll, you need to train it. Yeah, it, you need to train it in uh, in your trainings. Yeah. And that's what I did as well. And now I'm quite a professional in it. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise you get gel everywhere and that's not fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that and that that's what what happened a lot during training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when you do the time trial, it's you know, how, roughly how long would a time trial take you to do? I know they, they vary a little bit in distance, but give me a rough idea. Uh, most time trials will last about half an hour. Mm. So do you take any race feed in that or is that really, that's just whatever you have beforehand? Most time trials, we do not have any food with us, yep. uh, no gels. Uh, sometimes when it's in the summer, so, like the World Championship is this year in August, and so there's a chance that it will be pretty high. Or next year in Paris, it will be also really uh, hot mm-hmm. temperature. So then we always have a small bidon, mm-hmm. bidon, yep. a bit, bit yeah, with us, with yeah, a little water in it inside it. Mm-hmm. So uh, only for to yeah, get your mouth a mouth a little bit wet, mm-hmm. uh, but without any without any carbs inside it. Yep. So only for hydration, but not for for fueling. with sugars for for fueling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And do you have any issues in the heat? Like, are you someone who can sweat reasonably effectively, and and you can cool yourself down with that? Uh, yeah, I, I sweat a, a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, last week we saw I saw a graph of my performances, and then we we saw that uh, with temperature above the thirty degrees, then you see. Uh, that yeah but i think that's with everyone the case that that mm-hmm. your performance is a little bit lower so we would like to train uh, that this year to mm-hmm. also be on a higher level during the those high t- temperatures but yeah. uh yeah normally i sweat i sweat really good and i for me it doesn't feel that that's a limited factor uh-huh okay and so mitch do you have any recommendations for athletes who may be looking at getting into paracycling how did people get involved so yeah how do you get involved normally it will start with your local cycling club mm-hmm. and they will help you inside the, the cycling world and then you need to get in contact with the, the, the national federation because your yeah, hand cycling is a is a very expensive sports you need a, yeah, the hand cycles are very expensive but uh, most federations have hand bikes you can uh, you can uh, rent mm-hmm. for uh, for a for couple of months so in the in, in the same time you can uh, buy your own hand bike mm-hmm. hand cycle uh, so get in contact with the national federation rent a bike start riding and in the same time get your own bike 
because uh, hand cycling is not a, uh, only a physical sport but also a material sport. I always call it the Formula One of cycling because mm-hmm. uh, you 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 are uh, as good as your material as your bike. So mm-hmm. when you are really good but you, do, you have a shitty bike, then you won't achieve any big big results uh, results. Uh, so get in contact and uh, start racing and when you start racing then the the talent coaches will uh, will see you and then they will when you're really good they will pick you up and you will get in the in the the talent team and and then you actually get a an education to how to get a professional uh, cyclist Uh, and then maybe on one day you will become uh, a team member of me (laughs) <laughs> or someone who races against you. Exactly, or an opponent. <laughs> <laughs> and so how many, like, is your hand bike designed specifically for you, like it's molded around your body? Uh, yeah, so you, uh, you, you have to give some measures. Uh, you have to do some measures, like the wide of your uh, pelvic pelvis, mm-hmm. because you need to fit in the bike. And also your height, because I need to know how long the bike uh, should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my bike, it's only designed for me and yeah. nobody else can uh, fit in it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a sp- yeah, everyone has a special bike. Yeah. Mm. And so what about any coaches, any recommendations for coaches who, if a para-athlete comes to them, but they've only coached able-bodied athletes in the past like when you first started did you have a coach that was that really understood para sport or was that really just a cycling coach who had to learn how to adapt with you uh i was lucky that my first coach was already for a couple of years training a hand cyclist mm-hmm. and uh, he also was he was in the triathlon world and he also trained para triathletes. So mm-hmm. um, he was known in the paras in the para sports. But I think in general, um, most for 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 the coaches for those coaches, I think yeah, you can train para cyclists or hand cyclists in uh, the same way as normal cyclists. Mm-hmm. However, there are some trainings that yeah, you sh- you you can't do it on the same on the same type because uh, like cycling you do you paddle uh, asynchronic so mm-hmm. and with hand cycling you paddle synchronic so with with both uh, arms on the same time mm-hmm. you push and with both arms you pull on the same time mm-hmm. so there's a difference especially in the in the rpm in the cadence and that is, is something that that the coaches should know that there are some differences and not every type of training is possible with, with hand cycling mm-hmm. and uh, but you have to try it and then you will figure figure it out by yourself and then you know oh okay this is possible oh this is not possible and then you will find the solution for it and that's the way we did it as well mm-hmm. during the years yep and what do you use in terms of monitoring your yourself in do you have any specific tools that you use? Do you monitor your sleep or do you, you know, monitor your food intake or do you monitor anything on a regular basis to make sure that you understand how you're responding to your training? So uh, I measure every morning my heart rate variability mm-hmm. uh, when I wake up. I just do it with an app on my telephone, mm-hmm. uh, on my mobile phone. And at the same time, I see my, uh, my pulse. 
So, uh, and then I get the results. Uh, uh, then I fill him, uh, fill him some questions about how do I feel? How did I, did I slept? How much do I like the trainings? And then uh, I get a score. And with the score, I can see, oh, today it's a good day. Or today I have to limit the intensity of the training mm -hmm. because I'm a little bit uh, exhausted. So that's something I do every day. And yeah, mostly in the first part of, uh, of our training period. So we start training in end October, uh, beginning November yep. with the training. Uh, and then the first week, I always track uh, my foot intake for about two weeks mm -hmm. to getting the feeling again from, from mm -hmm. how much food do I need to take in to yeah have the same energy intake as energy expenditure. Yep. So that's actually what I while I track, yeah, and on the bike during the rides, we have power output, uh, heart rate, uh, all that, all those things to see how the form is. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Thanks, Mitch. You've got so many, so many pieces of information that you've provided us with. You've been very generous with with that. What What do you think is one of your biggest learnings over the the last kind of? I guess it's been six years now has it that you've been competing in in hand cycling yeah i think the biggest thing is that that your body is able to do an endurance sport with your arms <laughs> and in the beginning because when you start hand cycling after 10 minutes you're really completely exhausted you mm -hmm. have and uh, because in the first place uh, the human body isn't made to do an endurance exercise <laughs> with the arms it's just yeah. to take a cup take a cup of coffee or, or something like that and not yeah. to pedal for hours in a, in a bike. So yeah. uh, when I started, I thought, holy God, uh, how can I make it for five hours? And now it's just normal to do every week a five-hour ride. Right? Yeah. So it's really nice to see how the, the, the body adapts to, yeah, to the exercise. Yeah. Uh, and that's what surprised me every day. Is, and I yeah, guess... Yeah, and I guess you've seen that as well in terms of how it's adapted to being able to take on nutrition during your exercise and and the total amount of food that you need to eat. The body adapts pretty pretty amazingly if you, if yeah. you put it in the right scenario to do so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, Mitch, I won't take up any more of your time. I know you've probably got a training session to, to head towards. But before you go, we have one last question, and that's what's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite foods. Yeah, yeah. I just came back from Italy, and mm -hmm. uh, in Italy they eat a lot of pizza, and that's, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's one of my favorite foods. <laughs> okay, so what toppings do you like on your pizza? Yeah, I heard the, the podcast with my nutritionist, uh, Rob van der Werf, <laughs> and he, he he doesn't like pineapple on, on his pizza, but I'm a, a big fan of yeah, the Pizza Hawaii with pineapple ah, on it. Yeah. Okay. So I completely disagree with him because that's the best pizza there is. <laughs> but but you, you, you can't get it in Italy because they, they would murder you for that. So... Uh, <laughs> Oh, so you have to go go to the right country in order to be able to access your favorite topping on yeah, pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, in the Netherlands, you get you get you get the pizza Hawaii. So, oh, well, uh, if you ever get out to Australia, you, you'll definitely be able to get pineapple on your pizza, no problem. <laughs> oh, okay, great, perfect. Then uh, I will see you in Brisbane in, uh, in twenty thirty two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
<laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mitch, for your time. I really appreciate it. And certainly, I, you know, you're a youngster who's got a lot ahead of him. So I wish you all the best. And yeah, thanks a keep, lot. Keep up the, the great work that you're doing. Yeah, well, try my best. Mitch has some great messages about how to use training sessions, not just to train yourself physically, but also train things like your gut to be able to tolerate more food or more fuel or more fluid during exercise and during competition. If you don't do that, then you can't actually expect that your gut will be able to tolerate as much as you need during a competition. He also has some great messages about adaptability and the importance of being patient and allowing your body to adapt over time. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any feedback, please leave it on our website and feel free to share it with your social media. I hope you'll join us next time when we talk to Dr. Chris McGlory about fish oils or omega-3 fatty acids and athletes.